Today I'm going to talk to you about the family man. Men, it's time to man up in our families. It's time to man up in our families. You may say, well, I'm single or I've never, no, no, you're a part of a family. If nothing else, you're always a part of this family. But it's time to man up in the area of family. You know, I've been sharing notes and stats with you and, and it, pretty dire stats about how difficult it is in our nation right now with, with some of the things that's going on and how difficult it is to see all of this stuff that's, that's taken place. And, and when we think of our children and we think of our families and we think of all those things, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, and um, as I look at it, the, the thing that I want to challenge you with is I want to challenge you, never give up on your hope. There's hope for this nation. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's, there's hope for our government. I know it's tough to believe, but there is. There's hope for our school system. There's there, our educational system. There's hope for our families and your business, your career, your health, your spiritual walk with God. There's hope but you see, what we got to come to realize, hope has two components. And the first of those two components is, is when I'm hoping, when I'm hoping for something, and as I'm hoping for it, I have a desire or an expectation for a certain outcome. I'm hoping I have a desire or an expectation for a certain outcome. The second part of the definition of hope is to believe that you have actual grounds to stand on and command and receive what you've been hoping for. It's like I've shared with you over the years about prayer. Prayer is communing, communicating, communing and conversing, having conversation, communing and conversing with, but here's the second half, and asking and receiving from God. You see, if I ask without receiving, the Bible says I ask amiss. In other words, I didn't really ask. Because the prayer that penetrates into the heavenlies and the prayer that actually communicates with God always begins with the prayer petition. And the prayer petition is to make out a petition. And that prayer petition is the prayer of faith. And the only way we can commune and converse and ask and receive from our Heavenly Father is, is through faith. And faith is something that he gave to every one of us. Even before we became believers, we had a natural faith to believe and trust and receive his grace to be born again. Faith is a vehicle and a tool of God to move you forward, to move your dreams forward, to access whatever it is you've been believing for, whatever it is you need, whatever it is you've been trusting for, whatever the breakthrough is, hope is the, the starter. Hope is the ignition to fire up your faith. And faith is the vehicle to move into the unseen realm and to bring what's in the unseen realm into the seen realm. Faith is what? The substance of things what? Hope for. The evidence of things what? Not seen. Mm. So without hope, you can't really walk in faith. But some people only walk in one component of hope, not both components of hope. But when you tie in that you have the legal right from God, the grounds to believe and to speak and to act on something, and then the other part of it, you actually have the faith that you know that what you're hoping for is going to come to pass, and not only come to pass, but even more so than you expected or anticipated. You see, whenever we begin to think about this and we think about our nation and the darkness that our nation is going through with our families and with our children, and I think a lot of it is one of those two things. Either we don't have the desire to have hope or we don't have, believe we have the right or the grounds to use our hope. So I believe God is in the midst of the darkness. I believe God's in the midst of darkness of families in this church even that are, some children are battling addiction and some adult children are battling addiction. We got, we got families in this church that's battling disease and families in this church that's battling, battling brokenness and offense and hurt and wounds and especially father wounds. The majority of things that we face come from father wounds. 
And it's time that we as men realize the impact that we have, not just for this generation, but for multiple generations to come if this world's here much longer. I'm going to talk to you today in a few moments about two different men. I'm going to talk to you about King Hezekiah and give you an example of one man, one father. Then I'm going to talk to you about Daniel who fathered and brought back the nation of Israel, the nation of God. I'm, I'm going to bring a little comparison to you to give you something to stand on to give you hope, but also to know what to avoid. You see, I shared some of these stats from the Census Bureau before, but I'll share a few. 24 million children in America, that's one out of three, live in homes absent a biological father. There's a father factor in nearly all the social issues America's facing today, whether it's poverty, maternal stuff, whatever it is, support, encouragement, discipline, health, crime, teen pregnancy, drug abuse, educational issues, childhood obesity, there's usually 80% of the time a father issue involved. Listen to this. Nearly two out of every three children, nearly two out of every three, 64% of African-American children live in a father absentee home. One-third, 34% of Hispanic children and one-fourth of Caucasian children, what, live in father absentee homes. You know what the difference between today, 2018, and 1960 is? Only 11% of our children live without a father in the home. Only 11% of the children in our nation actually had less than two parents. Only 11%. So here's what I want you to know today. Here's what I want to take the next few moments and get in your spirit and get in your heart and, and to do it with love, but to do it with conviction and to release, to, to, to break through the mindset that maybe we walk in. There's times that in the middle of the day, I got to change my mindset because remember that little illustration I gave you about the race car driver when they're training another race car driver, especially when it's those fast Indy cars, and they say whenever they're training them, they start building their speed. They say, well, now you're up to a certain speed that you got to realize that they'll take them into a skid and they'll have smoke in front of them like other cars are in an accident and they got to determine what to do. And so many times they're looking where to go and then they can't see an opening. So they look at the wall like, I don't want to hit the wall. I could hit a car and then they end up hitting the wall. And the old race car driver says, listen, your car will go wherever you look. Wherever you place your vision, wherever you place your focus, your body will naturally bring everything to that position. It's the same way. If you haven't dealt with father issues men, which over 80% of us have dealt with those, if you don't deal with father issues and take care of those father wounds yourself, you're just going to pass them on. It's statistically proven even in physical abuse, spousal abuse, child abuse, that practically 100% or 99% of those who abuse children or their spouse, men that abuse children or spouse, were abused themselves. So you and I have a choice. We can either deal with the father issues or we're going to face the father's issues over and over with your children and your grandchildren and even your great-grandchildren. It's up to you to settle it in your heart. It's up to you to take care of business today. Look at your neighbor and say, it's up to you today. To take care of the business. What kind of business? The business of having a proper mindset, the proper focus to live in hope with expectancy and a grounds to know and trust that I have faith to receive that which I ask for according to the word of God. See, faith is not future or past, right? Roy? Faith is what? Now faith. So whatever it is you're believing for, there's a now component that you can step into, but it's a decision, a choice. Look at your neighbor and say, you got a choice to make. See, you, you, you can choose to walk around depressed if you want to. You, you can choose to get up and have a great day going and just be driving into work and be mad before you get there if you want to. You know, you know how that happens? Your mind was given to you for one reason. To survive. 
That's all your mind is trying to do. That's why you're not your mind. You're not your thoughts. You are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. And your mind was given to you so you could survive, so you could learn, but mainly learn to survive. And if you're just letting that mind wander, it's going to be looking at every negative and bad thing you need to avoid. Unless you tune that mind in and allow God's word, Romans 12, to be you not conformed to this world, but be you what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind to do what? Not to prove what God won't do, couldn't do, shouldn't do, may not do, could possibly do, but to prove what is God's what? Good. Well, you know, kind of not so good. No, good and acceptable, get this, and perfect will. If you keep your mind on these things, you walk in joy. You keep your mind on these things, you can walk in freedom above addiction. If you keep your mind in these things, you won't only abuse others, you won't even abuse yourself. Quiet in Holy Ghost house. That's okay. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. 1 Timothy 3 verse 5 says this. For if a man cannot manage his own household... How can he take care of God's house or God's church? If a man can't manage, manage his own household, how can a man take care of God's kingdom or God's church? What are you saying, preacher? Well, first of all, we look at managing a household and we think, well, that's make sure the lawn's mowed and the dishes are done and, you know, maybe your wife does it or you do it or you and her do it together, whatever. That's not what this this word in the Greek is talking about. It's not talking about, you know, managing, making sure everything is, you know, your OCD and everything's perfect. No, no, no. What it's talking about is you are a steward and an overseer. I know it's not popular in today's culture, but the word of God's not popular in today's culture. Because what? Jesus said what? That, that the ch- church is his bride. And then Paul even explained it too, that the man, what, is the head. Why is he the head? God anointed him to be the steward and, and the leader of the home, but he's to love the wife as his wife as himself. So if you're a man that's got a lot of pride, you should have a lot of pride in your wife. If you're a man that needs a lot of grace, you should have a lot of grace towards your wife. Oh, it's quiet in here, but look, I'm not nervous. I'm a daddy. I'm an experienced daddy. I've been a spiritual daddy for 30 years, and I've been a natural daddy for 20 years, so I I know a thing or two about being a father. And I had to learn under a difficult circumstance because my father died at the age of 52. My father died when I was three months old. So I I didn't have the, 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 the... opportunity to learn as a child what a father was. I had a stepfather for a couple years and then he was killed in a mining accident. So I had to learn and I had to allow the Holy Spirit to teach me and I had to seek it out through trial and error and understand. But about seven years ago when I got a revelation of Abba, of Daddy God, that he's not just for me, but he is my daddy. He's not just my Lord and my Savior and my King of Kings and my provider and my healer and my deliverer and my soon coming King. He's daddy. I could come to him like I had a father that I never had. I, I could come to him. If you've been in a situation where you don't even have a good situation with your father, you could still come to Abba Father. Because he said, the word says in, in Luke's gospel, says, uh, you know, Matthew's gospel, I mean, I think it's gospel uh, six, says that, that Jesus said, you fathers are evil. You don't even know how to give good gifts to your own kids. How much more is your perfect father in heaven going to give good gifts to you. He he said, whatever you think sometimes not a gift, it's discipline. And and you don't mature through it. You run from it because you attach your approval to the discipline, not realizing that discipline is approval. Son, don't run across the four-lane street. We're visiting New York City. I know you're five and you know a lot. And huff off and run across the street and see how far you get. Well, is that father being mean to that five-year-old son? You know, my boys, 18 and 20, they'll look at me and say, Dad, I say, don't dad me, dude. I've been where you at. I, I know. So you don't even see what could go on, but daddy does. I'm just telling, I ain't going to tell you what could go wrong. I'm just going to tell you what I expect. Quiet in the Holy Ghost house. 
Say, I ain't had nobody tell me that. But does that mean I love them or it's a privilege that, I, that, that, that I'm going to serve them or does that mean I'm just trying to mess up their evening? Well, when God tells you, stop robbing me, the reason he says stop robbing me with your tithes and offerings is because he can't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. Oh, quiet in the Holy Ghost house. Two people like that. See, see, see I, 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 I'm not here to please you. I'm here to love you. Uh, I might become a new one. Somebody needs to write that down. I feel that in my, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to love you. God didn't call me to best, be the best friend to my sons. He called me to be their father. And God didn't call me to be a chaplain of a church. There's nothing wrong with chaplains. God called me to be the father of this church. So I, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to love you. Mm-hmm. So let's look at this for a second. We see through these stats that when we look at men and, and what we represent and the influence we have that we don't even realize we have, the real question that we're seeing in this scripture, 1 Timothy 3, 5 says, for if a man cannot manage, what's that? Uh, oversee, a man cannot steward his own household. How can he take care of? Of God's church. So what we're talking about here, we're talking about being a steward. A steward is present. Or they've got someone of great qualification filling in while they're out. But a steward is someone that covers. A steward is someone that protects and educates and raises and, and defends. So it's someone that grows things. It's someone that multiplies things. And, and so what I want you to realize is what, what 1 Timothy 3, 5 is really talking about here is how we lead or don't lead in our homes creates consequences or effects that extend beyond our homes. So what we don't take care of in our homes brings not only consequences to us and our children and our families, but it brings consequences beyond our home, to other homes, to other families, and even other Nations. So the real question about stewardship, about managing God's way, is not is a man perfect, but is a man present? Now you can get that now. Not is a man perfect, but is a man present? See, so you can tell yourself that, guys, when, when your wife's pouting at you and your dog's barking at you and your kids won't even want to talk to you because you wouldn't give them the keys and you knew they didn't, hadn't, weren't prepared for the keys. And you just say, hey, daddy's not perfect, but he's present. And I'm not here to please you. I'm here to love you, little buckaroo. What, preacher? What, what, what preacher? Back up there. Let me back up there. So when we look at the question, not are we perfect, the question is are we present? Now, you can be physically there but not present. Yeah, honey, uh, yeah, uh-huh. Look at the scores. Oh, how, do, how many shots is he behind? Oh, come on, Tiger. Oh, yeah, I agree, I agree. And then a week later, you're getting a fight over something, and she said, well, you agreed. You told me three times the same. Within five minutes, you agree. I wasn't there. That's a lie. No, the lie is you weren't present. Yeah. Let me get into this little comparison here and then we'll, we'll move on. So when we look at this and we begin to think about being a father and manning up to fatherhood, it really comes from the scripture, the word of God. And as we begin to look at it, the first illustration or example that I want to give you here is I want to give you one from Hezekiah. And I'll be giving it to you at Isaiah, Isaiah 39. Now, Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah was appointed king as a teenager. He was a teenager. 
And his father was evil and wicked. It was descendants of David and of Saul. And, and it had gotten to the point where multiple kings had been evil and wicked. And they had set up idols and they had put the scrolls and the word of God away. And they were not serving God. Not only were they not serving God, they were regularly blaspheming God. And, and really, they were punishing people who were faithful to God. Oh, kind of sounds a little bit like we're, well, okay. But God, but God, let me tell you something. The church will only go as the men go. And you, you may not be a man and sir, but your wife's poking you in the ribs right now because the family's gonna go as you go too. You know why? You know why? It's statistically proven that when a man comes to Christ, over 90% of the household comes to Christ. When a lovely lady that's been carrying our mail and helping us and believing for us when we've been idiots, it's less than 55% of the family ends up going coming to Christ. That means less than 55% make it to heaven. So, so the church goes, it's the men goes. The family goes as the men goes. Yes, it's a team. It's a partnership. But God's equipped men and anointed men. They just haven't discovered it yet because they've lost hope. They've lost expectancy to have something that they couldn't even believe they could have. Or they've lost the, the understanding and the faith to have the grounds to believe and to receive what they ask or what they believe for. I told you I was going to preach. You're just looking at me. So let's look at these two. Hezekiah. So we see Hezekiah as Hezekiah takes over the kingdom as a teenager. The first thing he does, he finds the word of God and he begins to read it and it convicted him. And then he begins to go tear down these idols and all these places of false worship and cleaned the temple up and got it going again and, and got ministry and turned the prophets loose and got the, the discipleship going. He made some goofy leadership decisions when he was a little older because of fear, but God would bring him through. And he ended up being a very wealthy king and a very blessed king. And then toward, you know, the end of his life, he had came down with a disease and he was near death. And he began to cry out to God. And the prophet Isaiah came to him and the prophet Isaiah began to speak to him and, and, and Hezekiah asked, he said, I, I want to live. I, I've come to God and there's a real cool prayer in there about chapter 37 or 38 about the statements that Hezekiah put before God to, to, to be healed. And Isaiah said, God's heard your prayer. He's going to heal you and he's going to give you 15 more years on your life. Man, that's pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty good, getting 15 more years on your life. And Hezekiah at that point, and he said, not only that, he's going to take out your fierce enemy, the one that's been nagging you, you've had to fight multiple times. He's going to take them out. And it said, the Bible says that, that the angel of the Lord met 185,000 soldiers, and the angel of the Lord took out uh, 185,000 soldiers that was coming against Hezekiah's nation with one swoop. Plus, he extended his life 15 years. Now, as Hezekiah's moving along and things are going pretty good, right after he got healed, the, 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 the king um, that was his, the, another king he didn't realize was his enemy, the king that took Daniel's kingdom, what was it? Um, uh, Babel. Thank you, Josh. The king of, of, of Babylon sent his son and some others to just, they, writ, they first sent letters and they puffed Hezekiah up. Then he sent his sons and some other people over and they puffed Hezekiah up and got him all confident and feeling good. And Hezekiah opened up everything he had and showed it to him. He showed him the treasury. He showed him all the gold in the temple. He showed him his family, his concubines. He showed him all the wealth of Israel. Just think, all this wealth from King Solomon. All of this wealth from King Solomon. He shows him all these riches. And then Isaiah the prophet comes into him after they leave. And in Isaiah 39, verses 7 and 8, 
Here's what he said to him. He said, first of all, he asked him a question. He said, what did you show him? And King Hezekiah said, I showed him everything, everything I have, everything we have as a nation, even everything I have personally. And here's what Isaiah said to him. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, you would think he'd say like he was when he was sick, forgive me for whatever, I just want to be healed. You see, sometimes you get what you ask for and you really didn't need it. He'd probably been better to die 15 years earlier. Said, uh, said, that doesn't mean you don't believe you're healing, you just better keep your heart right after you get healed, just say it. <laughs> I love you. Look at it now. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, you'd think he'd just be repenting, wouldn't he? He'd just be like, I mean, this has been a holy father, a father that has, has, has wiped out the enemy, a father that's reestablished the church, reestablished the synagogues. And here's what he said. Oh, father, he must love his sons. Look here, he said, this message you've given me from the Lord is good. Oh, my sons are going to be taken into eunuchs. As eunuchs, our nation's going to be taken over. Other sons and daughters are going to be slaves. They're going to be... Oh, it's, it's good. For the king was thinking. Here's what he was thinking. See, this is what gets you. Stinking thinking is deadly thinking. Here's what he was thinking. Wait a minute. This guy that lived since he was a teenager and ran the kingdom and God blessed him and helped him. Every time he goofed up and messed up, God blessed him. He blessed him in the middle of his blessings, in the middle of his curses. God just kept blessing him. He did all that for him. And then he even healed him and extended his life 15 years. But here's what he's thinking. Never get to the point of your life to think you got it all figured out, Jack. Let me tell you, I'm 56. I know I look 29. I'm just saying, I'm prophesying now. Somebody said he's prophesying, but that's all right. That's up to you. I'm prophesying to me. But anyway, he said, because I got 30 more years of great ministry. God already told me. But anyway, so look, 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 look. What was he thinking? What was he thinking Stinking thinking means there's deadly stuff going on between our ears. Remember that you used to believe for that wife you were believing for? Oh, she's beautiful. If I could just get her. And then that became this. And this just became ordinary. And when it became ordinary, when it was special, but now it's ordinary, it used to be that. Now it's this. Be careful, it's soon replaceable. Listen, by someone or by something else. That's why I'm talking about being present. Maybe you're not cheating on her with another woman. Maybe you're cheating on her with time that you're just not present when you're with her. All four women got excited right there. Boy, I get the women fired up. I might get you men going. See, just because you're physically there don't mean you're there. See, see, we got to come to realization, man, when we're there, we're there. If we're, we're not present unless we're present mentally as well. And it says, uh, oh, this message is good. He said, at least, listen to this now, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Oh, man, that's the daddy you want, right? He's going to turn you over and put you in slavery as long as he's got peace in it. So, so how did a man that had the nerve when he was a teenager to come against religion, false idols, false religions, governments, rulers, older folks, come against and tear down places they worshiped that were false gods, wipe them out, clean them out, set up the institution of the temple and the holiness of God, fight for God, fight and risk his life hundreds of times out in battle, do all of these things, do the best he can do to prepare himself and make good decisions, even come to the place where he's blessed, he's rich and now his life has been extended and he's thinking. See, that's your problem, sir. It's not up to you to think it through. It's up to you to hear and receive and work it through. You see, see guys, when you get to thinking too much, you, you might exalt yourself just a tad. Now, I've done that on about 3,000 occasions and still have a tendency to do it. But, you know, when you get older and you get enough knots on your head, you're you, 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 you a dog, you know, and you get trained a little quicker. You're, you're like, okay, I know what that means. 
You know, dog, God's blowing a little whistle like a trainer and blow a little whistle to a dog. That, that, that dog doesn't figure out what comes. If I don't obey, but well, why would that dog listen to that little sound? Because he knows what's coming after the sound. Some of you men need to determine what's going to come after the sound. What's, what's next? Maybe you got it all planned out and figured out and schemed out and worked out and you deserve it because you worked so hard and you deserve it because you were wise and put it back. You deserve it because you've been so faithful and so good and you just, listen, you don't deserve anything but hell. And I don't deserve anything but hell. But for God and his grace. I don't deserve anything. When I give my life to Christ, I'm a walking dead man. I don't even have an opinion anymore. So why am I going to think about what I feel like? See, 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 if you're all upset and stressed, then just write down right that moment what you've been thinking of the last 10 minutes. I tell you, it wasn't the gratitude of God and the goodness of God and you could have been dead, but now you're alive. You could have been this, but now you're not. And, and you, you know, when you start giving thanks, so you, 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 you got this whole faith thing, you got all figured out and you can just judge leaders and you can judge your wife and your cat and your dog. You can judge everybody because you're spiritual. You're, no, he didn't call you to be spiritual, sir. He called you to be a servant to all. The same thing Christ did for the church. He laid his life down for his wife, his bride, his church. God called the men to lay our life down. And to not pick it up again. I don't know why that boy talks to me like that. Because maybe you've been there, but you haven't been present. Or maybe he's going through something that's difficult and you didn't discipline him like you should have. And now you don't know what to do. Either way, thank God for grace. That we don't deserve and can't earn. And when you tune back into God, he'll make a way. If he's got to bring an angel into their presence, he'll make a way. But you love him and you serve God and you serve your family and you love him, but you also discipline and you, you, you got to lay the guard. You're the steward. Hmm. So, so, so long as I got peace in my lifetime, long as I get to enjoy my last five years of this retirement I've been working 65 years for, Everybody's working for something. What if we just work for God? And we're wise and good stewards with our health and our finances and our careers, but I'm just saying that number one is God. What if? So I want to ask you, and I'm going to go on to Daniel and we'll close, but I want to ask you, what brought this powerful, godly king to this mindset? You know what I believe it was? You might want to write this down. You don't have to because you, you know. What I believe brought this powerful, mighty man of God, this king to make this goofy decision, this selfish decision, this decision for just himself, he thought. I believe it was a compound effect of a lot of little bad decisions he didn't deal with. I believe it was a compound effect of a lot of right decisions that were just small decisions that he didn't make. See, the devil just doesn't jump up, boo, and I'm going to get you. Now, he wants to get your mind going, and he wants you to get to thinking about what, oh, it's me. I mean, I know I'm the only one at work that doesn't cheat the time clock. I'm the only one. Well, you cheat your time with your family. You cheat your time with God. I don't know, but I'm just saying, I'm the Man, preacher, I, I, it's Father's Day. I thought I was going to get fired up. I thought he was going to, I am firing you up. I'm trying to keep you out of the fire, bring you up. I, I don't want you in the fire. Unless it's the Holy Ghost, that's how. Because I love you. And I, I'm serious about that. Guys, it's the compound effect of the decisions you either make or you don't make. But they add up. They not only add up, compound means they multiply. <sighs> Should get over it. 
I'll go home a little later after I go, you know, hang out with the guys, or I'll go a little later after I get my last round in. I, I, I go off, whatever. I, I'll go home a little later. I'll just show her. She'll, she'll get over it. She knows who provides. She, maybe you don't get it. Maybe you don't know who provides. Who gave you the wisdom, the health, the favor, and the opportunity to do what you do? The honor to do what you do. Maybe. Just maybe. Why in the Holy Ghost house, man? Think about this, guys. God wants you free. He wants you whole. He wants you restored. He wants you to walk in his blessing. He wants you to walk in his favor. But you know how it comes? It doesn't come with a big ingenious idea. It comes one decision at a time. One decision at a time. One choice at a time a time and then it compounds out and it turns into something and every time you pouting at your kids pouting at your wife and stub up and want some attention and why 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 I mean you know it's funny watching men whine I, I tell there's some of my spiritual sons they call me because they, they'll come by and go can I see you I say you may, okay well you know it's just this and it, I said, well you know what I'm going to tell you I think so well here it is and whoop Okay, pastor, I repent. I'm sorry. Yeah, Because if you're going to come to me and say you're going to be offended at your employer, I'm going to say you don't even deserve a paycheck. I don't care how bad they are. Work yourself out of that job and work into another job. If you're going to sit here and whine about your wife, then it must be a hundred times more going on in your heart because you would already grace her, forgiven her, and be working with her through it. So, so, so you know, I'm maybe not the best counselor. <laughs> if, you, if you want to feel good, buddy, you know, if we're on the golf course or something now, it's different. But if, if you want some counseling, you, I may not be your guy. Because, listen, I'm pretty skilled at manipulation because I got to keep Dalton in line. And if I'm working to keep Dalton in line, I don't think you'd be that much of a challenge to me. If you were here and receive. Oh, it's good. Good place to clap right there. It's all right. It's all right. I mean, there's feel-good places all around. I love feeling good. I love dancing in the spirit. I love all that. But I, I want to see you get to heaven. <laughs> it's my goal, right? And I want you to take your family with you. And those neighbors next to you, I want you to take them with you too. Because what happens in your house doesn't just stop in your house. <laughs> okay. Okay, preacher. Let, let's get to Daniel. Then we'll pray. Daniel. Daniel was one of those children that later on were taken in Babylonian captivity. So he, Daniel, what had happened, the king of Babylon, when they, when they defeated Israel and all the children of God, what did they do? They took all their families and all that, but then they picked out the choice ones, the princes and all the royal sons and all those sons and daughters and all the ones that were high potential, high level and all that, the healthiest ones and the beautiful ones and the handsome ones and they brought them into the king's court to serve a king that served false gods. And Daniel was brought into that situation not because of what Daniel did but because of what his father didn't do. What his great-grandfather didn't do cost him. Because every king after Hezekiah until later was evil. Because of one decision that Hezekiah made, two decisions, opening up the war chest of God to God's enemy. See, it's not even a matter if they were nice to Hezekiah. Are they the enemy of God? Well, you know, we're just hanging out. Well, you better find out whose team they own. You might be on that team later on and you might be on the bottom rung. But then, once they were taken into captivity, the Bible tells us that when we look at Daniel, his integrity caused him to make the right decisions. His integrity caused him to make the right decisions. It says in Daniel 1, verses 3 through 5, uh, it says, then the king ordered uh, the chief of his court officials to bring into 
into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility of young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified. I'm just telling you, the devil will take your best. You, you think that little girl's beautiful, what Roy was saying there? You, you might want to dance with that little girl because if you don't, somebody's going to. You might want to have tea with that little girl when she's in her room wanting to have tea because somebody's going to someday. It might be when she's 16, but somebody's going to. You better make sure daddy's the one that's the apple of her eye. That boy you've been so hard on, you know, you've been so hard on that boy, you better realize he's going to grow up and be a man someday. He's going to probably be a father. Are you going to have a relationship with him or is he just glad to get away from you? You don't understand. Kids don't respect. Well, then you may not respect them. Two people. That's good. I'm, that's four people there. That's good. See, see, I'm a father. I can talk like this. Oh, what's that? Well, well we talk about money. Woo, you get what you sow. You reap what you sow. Yeah, Lord, give me 30-fold, 6-fold, 9-fold, 100-fold. Well, you reap what you sow in your words. You reap what you sow in your actions. You reap what you sow in your decision-making. That's right. Just saying. Now, I'm not here to get you all condemned if things are not going good. I'm just here. I'm your wake-up call today. I'm just letting you, setting you all up because I'm just telling you it just makes one decision to, to change it. It all takes one decision. And he had all these special kids. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, so when Daniel made his original stand against the kingdom of Babylon, it wasn't just about food. It was what food symbolized. So it's about what the food symbolized because what Daniel did, he made them an offer here in a few moments. How about if me and my servants, what if, we, if we just eat vegetables and this and that, we don't eat any sweet things and we don't eat any of the king's meat or have any of his wine. How about if we just do that and then you evaluate in 10 days and see who's the strongest and on their game. And they did and obviously Daniel was right. You see, the Babylonians worshiped what? Pagan gods, and these were meat offerings from the king's table to their pagan gods. So Daniel got wisdom from the Lord before he made a decision to speak to the leader that was over him. So for Daniel to take the meat and the wine, was under the, he would be under the submission of a false god. So he knew he was going to make one or two decisions. Either I'm going to cheat God out of hit what I devoted for him to do or I'm going to cheat the king out of what he wants me to submit to. But he knew he couldn't satisfy both. I mean, there's a couple, there's a decision you got to make and you, you're trying to satisfy everybody. You're trying to make mama happy, the kids happy, the neighbors happy, the dog happy, the preacher happy. No, no. You know who you need to make happy? No one. You need to obey God and love people as he loved them and even love yourself. And you know what? You'll make good decisions. Amen. <clears throat> Daniel was tested by what he ate because that was a choice he had to make. We are tested by how we spend our time. Woo, maybe I need to go over and sit down. I'm going to have to back up today. I'm going to have bodyguards today. See, Daniel was just tested by what he ate. Men, today, we're tested by how we use our time, how we spend it. Why do we use the term, Michael Todd, of spending time? That means it's like an acquisition. It's, 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 it's a, uh, something that has value that you spend it you towards something. You exchange for something else. When you talk about how we spend our time, it's talking about what kind of return, Johnny, you're an investor, what kind of return do you get on your money? You know, if you can get 5%, wow, 10%, you're killing it. If you, oh, you're looking for a return, what? On investment, ROI. What about ROI for T? Return on an investment of your time. 
You see, that's when you start realizing and noticing the relationship you have with your teenager or your adult child. That's when you realize the, the relationship you have with your spouse over the years. That's when you realize the relationship you have with others at work and others in church and ministry. What happens is you're, get, you're starting to get a return on investment of how you spent your time. Because when you got a problem at work or a problem in your family, yeah, you can be conflict-oriented and deal with it real quick, but you might want to do what Daniel did and get along with God and get his word and see what the word says and then deal with it. But deal with it. So you and I, what we are dealing with is time. See, if I ask you this question, we're getting ready to pray. If I ask you this question, okay, guys, if I were to ask you how loyal and devoted, if I ask you how loyal and devoted you are to your family, some of you might say it like this. You would answer me by how you feel about your family or what you've done for your family or how far, far you would go to protect your family or how, how hard you would work to provide for your family. But let me help you. It's not so much about your provision. It's not so much about your protection. That's all part of it. But if you blow your time, I just don't know why the young men at work respect me more than my son. Because you spend more quality time with them. I just don't understand why that secretary at work or that lady at work that works in my department, she's, she thinks I'm hotter than my wife is because you're giving her your attention and your time. I'm with my wife all the time, but you're not giving her your time. Yeah, I, I'm a man, so you can snow somebody else, but I know you. Say, well, preacher, you judging me? No, if you think I'm judging you right now, you definitely have father wounds. Because one thing I've learned about pastoring for preaching for 30 years and pastoring for over 20 is what I have discovered, Paul, is this. If you had a bad experience with a head baseball coach or basketball coach, if your daddy offended you, if your principal offended you, if in the military your officer offended you, I get it all. Because you're offended at leadership. And I know sooner or later you can be all sweetie sweet to me, but I'll have to deal with it. No matter how much you love me, you either confront it or you'll be out the door because you can't cheat time. You can't cheat time. It's a gift from the Father. That's why they call him what? Father time. I want to ask you about your father time. How, you, how are you doing, Father Time? I'm not just saying you're old. I'm just saying, Father Time, how are you doing with your time? Because where you spend it will determine your ROI. What good is it? Everybody in the community loves you and thinks you're the coolest dude in the world and everybody at the pool hall or club or the golf course or, 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 or at work. Everybody thinks you're the coolest dude ever. You're, you're it, man. But you walk in your house and you're like deflecting because you haven't put the time in. You know, you know what I say. It's just two words. You know, it, it's time to what? What? It's time to what? It's time to what? It's time to man up. Guys, it's time to man up with some family time. I'm not saying you can't do your career, your business, and, 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 and your wife, she's balanced because most homes are two family working homes anyway. And if they're not out working in a job somewhere, they're working extra hard because they're taking care of the kids, the house, and everything else. God said you're supposed to be involved. You're a steward over all that. And to love her as Christ loved the church and lay your life down for her and for those kids. Because let me tell you something. You're not going to be happy. You might be successful. But success is a science. Any dummy can get a system down and be successful. You, 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 you can save a penny and put it in the right place to invest it and the penny can be worth over a billion dollars in 30 days if you invest it right. You know, it doesn't mean you're smart. You, you can do 
things and invest things and, and get a return and make you feel like you're really something. But I want to I want to help you. And I'm not, again I don't well no I'm not apologizing. So yeah so so I, I, I'm this is time to man up. So I'm not speaking to boys here. I'm, if you're if you're mad at me, God bless you. I'm speaking to men. So to the men of the house, what kind of ROI are you getting? Well, I tell you what, that woman, we couldn't get along. We had these beautiful children, and I'll just tell you what, if she thinks I'm going to get along with that goofy guy she married, if she thinks I'm going to get along and just fall in line, you better humble yourself for your children's sake there, sir, big Mr. Big Shot, because you'll be alone on Father's Day and birthday and probably graveside. Well, I don't understand, preacher. It's called ROI. How, what kind of return of investment are you getting on your time? Now, 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 let me help you dads and you men that's, that doesn't even have children yet. No, let me help you. I'm not going to be able to give my son quality time if I'm still offended at my father. I can give him time and sometimes it's okay but if I'm carrying an offense toward my father figure and I haven't repented of that and given it to God and built a relationship with Abba Father, my ultimate father, then I'll never be able to give my son quality time. So we get ready to pray here. Here's what God told me when I was moaning and groaning for years. And I had some people that were spiritual fathers for seasons in my life and Man, but I've been a long time. I hadn't had someone really activated doing that. And man, I was just praying, God, you know, here I am in my 40s. I, I need a, I need a, come on, where's my spiritual father? I've had two go to heaven and one I'm not with much and another one I don't ever see. And I, I need a, I want that father. I want that attaboy, attaboy. Good job. Go get him. I, I, I need, and I whined for, I don't know, two or three years. And finally been praying one day, the Holy Spirit said, Josh, he said, uh, Dalton, what, sir? So that, about that question you had about your spiritual father. Come real close. I'm going to give you the answer. Okay, Lord. Oh, God. Yes. What is it, Lord? What is it? I'm waiting. Who is it? I, I, got, I got my phone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type their name in. I'm... He said, here's the answer. Why don't you become what you desire to have? Why don't you just become what you desire to have? Yeah, but uh, wait, wait. he said, let me help you. Is it more blessed to receive or to give? I said, well, give. Is it more blessed to be served or to serve? Serve. So then the best blessing I can give you is to give you to be a spiritual father to others and then you'll get the harvest of the love back. See, you can't outgive God. Can't outlove God. You can't outserve God. 